This episode of The Minimalist is brought to you by nobody, because advertisements suck. The Minimalists. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. Ryan Nicodemus is on vacation, but don't worry. I have two people in the studio with me today. My lovely wife, Rebecca Shearn, is here from Minimal Wellness. And and then we have Joel Green is here, the author of this new book, which I'll hold up if you're watching on YouTube. It's called The Immunity Code. And I can't wait to to dive into this because today we're, we're going to talk about what it really means to eat in a balanced way. We're going to talk about improving our immune systems. We're going to talk about why our overall health is related to gut health. And we have a whole lot more to talk about and a bunch of your questions to answer as well. Joel, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. This book is fascinating. Uh, you know, Bex is a, a registered dietitian and nutritionist, and she's been helping me dive into the uh, all of the knowledge that is packed in into this book. And I'm really fascinated by this because a lot of it seems intuitive, but then also a lot of the stuff is, these are things I haven't heard before. Why is that? Yeah, that, that's, that's an interesting one. Um, there, I get that a lot yeah. about the book. Yeah. That, Why haven't I heard that before? It makes so much sense. Why haven't I heard it? And um, I think part of it, it part, part of the answer is kind of like herd, herd behavior. Like, you know, people in crowds do dumb stuff. The bigger the crowd, the dumber the stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Accurate. <laughs> so we, we've, um, we just have kind of a, kind of a herd that in terms when it comes to fitness in our bodies and we've kind of gone this one direction and we've all gone it i've gone it we've all done it and like when you peel it back and go wait wait why are we doing this this way and you start to think about it you come up with i don't know why are we doing it this way yeah (laughs) it doesn't make a lot of sense yeah (laughs) and so there's there's kind of that going on um i think another aspect to it is that um when Every now and then, uh, when you go a particular direction in, in a paradigm, you kind of get to the end of that paradigm. And then what can happen is um, new information can come along and it kind of snaps us back to center. And then you realize, wow, we were really off center. We didn't think that we were. Mm-hmm. And I think there's some of that going on in there too. Um, a lot of Let's talk about some of the information that, that's in the book because uh, the way you describe it is an entirely new way to think about caring for the body. Mm-hmm. And, and the book is called The Immunity Code. Let's talk about what's important about the immune system. We, we obviously are starting to hear talk about the immune system now in the context of viruses and, mm-hmm. and, and fighting off viruses. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about what the immune system is and why it's so important. Mm-hmm. Well, the first thing to understand is that um, we have this concept of immunity sort of as an ancillary thing. Like it's this, it's this sort of thing in a bottle that, you know, you, you, oh, I just need some zinc and some vitamin D and, and there, now I've got it. Now I have immunity. And it's this idea that like there's a Christmas tree and immunity is another ornament on the tree. That's kind of the idea. And when you begin to like really like dive down into mechanistically like how the body works and look at like the mechanisms in the body, what you come up with is that actually no, immunity is the tree. 
and everything else is the ornaments. It's the foundation. And so um, we have this idea of immunity that, you know, it's, it's sort of like um, ancillarized into, well, take this and that, and now you've got it. And when you really begin to work through how to have real immunity, it begins to touch everything. It touches right. every part of the body. So it touches body fat. It, in fact, it, it turns out that actually immunity governs body fat. Like, wow, what, what, yeah, immune mechanisms govern body fat. Things like very specific immune cells, um, immune signals, they all govern body fat. Or then when you look at the gut and you look at like what governs the gut, well, it's really immune mechanisms that govern the gut. And every part of the body, you find this is true. Um, when you look at aging, it turns out that aging actually really is, you can best describe aging sort of like as a, you know, uh, the body begins to treat um, with age begins to act like age itself is just an injury. It's just a systemic, system-wide injury that never resolves. Mm -hmm. And so you begin to see that immunity is um, the foundation and the mechanisms that are in immunity are the foundation of everything else in the body. And so that's a different shift. That's really fascinating. So especially with the COVID mm -hmm. epidemic right now, do you think the younger population because of the the large prevalence of people who are overweight and obese, mm -hmm. like is that what's driving the, the mm -hmm. immune issue there? But at an older age, it's mm -hmm. a different mechanism? Yeah, that is a fantastic question um, and actually very accurate. Um, so what you see is, so first of all, let's start with people who are elderly, elderly populations. What you see with elderly populations and sort of susceptibility to things like COVID is that they are in a constant state of what we would call sort of oxidative stress, mm -hmm. okay, or redox imbalance. And what that really kind of points to is that, you know, your body has a sort of a natural system for balancing sort of, you know, free radicals, antioxidants. And when the natural reductive systems in the body get stressed, so things like glutathione peroxidase, catalase, superoxide dismutase, when those things get overworked and stressed, then the body gets into what's known as oxidative stress, meaning it's just trying to keep up. And so what you see with older populations, with like aged populations, is you see that um, they're kind of in a sort of a persistent state of oxidative stress from what we call inflammaging or rather like an overactivation of the inflammasome. And so meaning they have this kind of like essentially what is an immune reaction, you know, mm -hmm. the way the way that immunity typically works is you have sort of this initial recruitment or onset of, you know, kind of first responders. These are things like um, very specific types of macrophages and secretory IgA, very specific types of antibodies. Mm -hmm. And then in the process of resolving an injury or an attack on the body, um, those things have to go away. And then a different aspect of the immune system has to kick in and resolution happens. But what you see in older populations is, is they never get to that state. They're just in this constant state of what we would call kind of the first responders being there. Um, and so these are things like, you know, senolytic cells, um, overactivation of very specific immune signals. And so they're in oxidative stress. And it's that oxidative stress that lends itself out to susceptibility to things like COVID-19 because um, when you look at like very healthy populations, they kind of have more or less a, a redox balance. They're, they're in balance with sort of the, the reductive capacity of their body. And so what you see is like with COVID-19, that it has a much more difficult time um, docking, has a much more difficult time getting hold um, to the cell membrane, to the ACE receptor. It's because they're in redox balance. Mm. So it never really gets underway. Now, when you look at obese populations, you see something very similar. That gets really interesting. So what you see with obese populations is they have very similar issues in terms of inflammation, and in particular inflammation of body fat. Mm. So what you see is that when body fat um, becomes inflamed, it acts like a giant megaphone. 
um, and it affects the entire body, um, especially as you age. Mm. So body fat is kind of a crux variable in regulating um, and modulating inf uh, inflammatory signals across the entire body. And the really sort of interesting revelation that's, that's come down the pike over the last few years is that weight cycling can spawn the same thing. So, you know, uh, oh, I'm fat, I got to do something about it, you know, uh, go on a diet, lose some weight, and then, ooh, rebounding, rebounding. Well, what happens over time by doing that is you actually begin to stress the extracellular matrix that holds your fat in place, and it gets stiffer, and as it gets stiffer, it takes on an inflamed profile. Mm -hmm. And that inflamed profile just magnifies inflammatory signals across the body. So inflammation often has to do with an overactive immune system. Let, let's talk about how controlling inflammation is, is really the key to, to good health, to longevity, et cetera. Mm. Well, that, that's, that's a fantastic point. Um, so when you look at um, different theories of aging, mm -hmm. there's a lot of them, like a whole bunch. <laughs> and a lot of them don't agree. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but some of the newer theories... Um, there, I talk about one in the book called um, Remodeling Theory. Uh, there's another one called Network Theory. Some of the newer theories really kind of look at the aspects of immunity where the immune mechanisms and immune signals that govern inflammation get oversubscribed, sort of overactivated. Mm. And so when we begin to ask, well, how can we kind of dial this down? How can we kind of flip the switch here? Right. Um, what we come to quickly is that <clears throat> it's, it's a tissue by tissue proposition. Like we actually have to look at an order of operations and we have to look at, well, wait, where, where does, where's all this kind of beginning? And it quickly leads us to, well, really, you know, the gums and the gut are kind of the first place that we have to start mm -hmm. because that's kind of where immunity begins in the body. The body comes into contact with the outside world first in the gums and then in the gut lining. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes kind of the first step. And it's a very different proposition from the rest of the body. So when you look at immunity in the gut, uh, it's, it's, it's quite a rabbit hole. And it gets interesting super fast. Mm -hmm. um, Start talking about the microbiome mm -hmm. right away. Yeah. Um, what's interesting and where, where I, I don't know if I did a great job. I tried to in the book. Um, uh, what, what gets very interesting very fast is that you have to begin to um, unsubscribe from a lot of uh, paradigms that we have kind of bought into in this age that we're in. Like diversity is the key to the diverse mi gut microbiome is, is the key to gut health. That's not necessarily true. I'm, I'm learning that from your book, right? Well, best way to put that is, um, diversity is important. Um, but pursuing diversity, uh, isn't going to get you there. Okay. Um, like, like we, we have this idea that diversity, you know, is kind of the, the, the end all be all in the gut. And while it is true that, you know, the gut itself needs to have sort of a diverse biome in the gut, um, pursuing diversity is not a strategy. Mm -hmm. It's gonna, it's not going to work. It's not going to get you anywhere. You can get much more bang for the buck by pursuing a couple of bacteria than you would by pursuing diversity. Uh, those are Acromantia bifidobacteria, right? Acromantia mucinilpha and bifidobacteria as a family. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about both of those sure. and why they're important. Yeah. So, um, a couple of reasons. One, um, let's back up and start with like kind of, um, let's start with like a picture of health and like the leanest, healthiest, longest lived people. Um, and let's look at kids like when you're young, when you're very energetic and kind of what that looks like. And what we seem to, what seems to be the case, um, is that when you're young, you have high populations of bifidobacteria. And bifidobacteria is uh, very interesting for a number of reasons. One of those is that um, it 
really seems to control uh, a whole lot of things that are involved in keeping the body lean. Mm -hmm. Specifically, there is a there's a key protein called an angioprotein, um, ANGLP4 or or fasting induced adipose factor, and it's it's controlled by bifidobacteria. Um, this protein uh, suppresses lipoprotein lipase. So it actually has a lot to do with the body's ability to store fat and not store fat. So as our bodies, um, as we're young, when we're young, we have higher populations of bifidobacteria. Mm -hmm. Bifidobacteria is also involved in making B vitamins. Um, and, and where it really gets interesting is when you begin to look at different kinds of diseases and you start to look at things like um, Parkinson's and uh, Crohn's and things like that, and you see these correlations to low, low bifidobacteria populations. Right. Um, that's really interesting. And then sort of anecdotally speaking, what you see happen is when you begin to restore these things, you see the symptomology of these things lessen significantly and rapidly, like very fast. I, I personally witnessed it. Well, let's I, talk about how do how do we restore mm -hmm. th these things? So, so whether it's bifido or acromancy, I mean, I, there you have some sort of hacks in in, in the book. Mm. Um, the apple peel thing is is fascinating. Bex has been doing this for a few weeks now. Yeah, you want to talk about month. that? Oh, oh wow! Yeah, okay. yeah. Let's, I just finished it. Okay. I just was like, I'm cool with. The apple peel thing. Let's hear this. Yeah. So I did the apple peels. I, I kind of like did an extended version of the protocol that okay. you have in the book. Just because like I, I felt like my health had not been quite where it should be. Yeah. I've been struggling with shingles of mm. all things mm, okay. um, for like the last six, eight months. Mm -hmm. And I so I was like, I really need to like dive into this, uh, the series of protocols that you have. So yeah, I did an extended version of the, the apple peel protocol. So I did the apple peels for several weeks and then added the HMO. Okay. Um, and then the how reds. Did, how did you feel on that? Great. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel energetic on it? Yeah. Let's I'll, talk about what HMO is. Yeah. So the yeah. human milk oligosaccharide. Yeah. By the way, it's good you keep asking questions because I will rant. He <laughs> <laughs> won't shut up. <laughs> He's still talking. He's a very good host. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about what, what HMO yeah. is and, and wh why we would incorporate yeah, that. So, yeah. So uh, HMO, uh, the, the, what's called human milk oligosaccharides. Um, it's like a little spray we got from Amazon. That's yeah, one right. way to get it. Yeah, yeah that's one way to get it. Uh, so basically, they are they are essentially um, they're essentially they're glycoproteins. They're, they're carbohydrates bound to protein. They're found in mother's milk, and they they have a whole heck of a lot to do with establishing immunity in the infant gut. Um, and they affect a lot of things in some very interesting ways. Would you also get this from colostrum? Like, mm -hmm. uh, okay. Yeah, you can that's... get you can get HMO in colostrum. Um, the you're going to get different fractions and the amounts and things can vary. <clears throat> there's about 200 different known um, HMOs. Uh, there's there's roughly just a couple right now. They're actually on the market, mm -hmm. but they seem to have some very remarkable properties um, with respect to restoring the gut and helping the gut. Um, one of the things we have to look at is if you want to establish immunity in the gut, you have to look at how immunity began in the gut. Mm. And the way immunity began in the gut was you got mother's milk. Um, you got mother's milk, and in mother's milk were these things. And these things do some very interesting things. They act as decoys um, for different kinds of like um, pathogens. Um, so that they there's a thing called a histo blood group antigen. And HMOs actually mimic these structurally. So they actually... Uh, can prevent things from binding to the mucosa of the gut lining. Um, the mucosa is just the outer layer of just the, the just the inner yeah. lining, yeah, yeah, the inner lining of the gut. Um, they they can actually prevent um, uh, different types of things, pathogens, from binding to that, and they also help to stimulate bifidobacteria in the gut. Mm. So, um, if we were to look at like, well, what can we look at to 
to like if we were to build the perfect human gut, where would we start? And there's there's a short list that comes up quickly. We need aminos. Uh, for a number of different reasons, and we'd probably want to throw in HMOs, and then we'd probably want to throw in very specific phenols, um, okay. very specific phenols. And so we would get those from like dark fruits. Dark fruits, yeah. Um, blueberries, strawberries. Uh, yeah. So there's a there's a few things going on there. Um, blackberries, blueberries, strawberries. There are uh, phenols in there, anthocyanins, things like that, and those are food for bifidobacteria. Mm-hmm. And then specific to apple peels and the protocol that you did, mm-hmm. what you find is that um, there's very interesting molecules that are in the the skin themselves of apple peels. There's what's called a highly um, highly polymerized procyanidin, and they're basically, long story short, there's these massive, massive, massive like sugar molecules that just don't break down because they're so big, mm-hmm. and so they sit in the gut and they ferment, and they just happen to ferment in the right place, and acromantia feeds on those things. Right. So, like, as a cocktail, um, when we look at, like, red phenols, apple peels, and HMOs, um, it's a pretty good cocktail, you know. Now, now you, you often talk about order of operation and how important that is because, yeah. and, and to me, it makes sense. The analogy I would use, like, if you bake a cake but you do it in the wrong order, you're going to screw everything yeah. up, right? <laughs> and, and so what I've noticed about this is, like, it would be really convenient if you could just say, well, here's the list of 12 things. You take these and you're good to go. It's like, well, it's sort of that, but it's also, like, you have to do this in the right order so the apple peel thing was i believe a first step right. in in, yeah. in in many respects to try to increase the the acromantia in the gut right yes that was the, the so the way to look at it is like changing the oil when people come into the book the very first thing is like most of us have issues in the gut and we don't really even know it or, or we do know it and we can't do anything about it and so and th- let me just say those mm-hmm. issues could manifest in different ways some people see it as a gluten intolerance per se or a dairy intolerance or uh I- even a intolerance to fiber right yes so yes. so mm-hmm. h- how do these things manifest mm-hmm. and then what's the order of operations to start addressing these oh my gosh talk about a rant here it comes <laughs> let's do it <laughs> Prepare your designers. <laughs> well, all right. So, <clears throat> what's been? So, you asked me up front why, why, why haven't I heard this before? Um, I think one reason is that we have um, we have a culture that has really subscribed to narrative as a way to explain things, and I love narrative. Sure, you know, narrative's great. Narrative is very powerful. Um, we we can learn a lot from narratives. Every now and then, though, you need to go to the structure function of something. You know, like like a narrative would be. You know, it's a Tesla and you stomp on it and it is a 10-4 quarter. Okay. Yeah. And you'll smoke everything. Right. <laughs> but mechanistically, it would be, mm, well, it's got um, an electric drive and it goes into the motor. The motor sits right next to the wheel. And the reason it's so fast is because you have torque that's instantly, you know, and you get into the mechanisms. Right. Okay. So every now and then you need to break the mechanisms down. Mm-hmm. That's never been done. Nobody's really broken the mechanisms down of why your question is relevant. Mm-hmm. So mechanistically, when you begin to look at this, um, and I'm just going to, I'm kind of going to cover this in a broad sense, but I think it's really important because people need to understand mechanistically why these things happen. So when you look at the inside of the gut, mm-hmm. okay, what you quickly see is that the lining of the gut is different from any other place in the body. What's really different is that it exists in a super oxidized state. That's mm-hmm. normal for the gut. And so because of that, it's mechanistically has very specific particulars, meaning things like um, immune cells that normally would encounter uh, a a very specific immune signal like interleukin 1b Mm -hmm. and would just set off a four fire alarm. They don't do anything in the gut when they see that. 
So they are attenuated to the oxidative environment of the gut lining, highly oxidized, highly, think of it in terms of like, you know, um, highly oxidized uh, oxidation is like rust. Think of the engine of a car. Inside the engine of a car, it's, it's really hot and combustive, but there's something that protects it, and that thing is oil. Right. So as long as you have oil, the engine works. Right. Okay. So what protects the inside of the gut lining from that oxidation is ascorbate. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of ascorbate in the gut lining, and so it buffers the highly oxidative environment in the gut lining. Okay. That's normally. Now, when it's operating normally, what you have is that um, in the colon, a lot of the body's digestion gets done. And um, in the colon, uh, there's a very special fat called butyrate that allows uh, those cells within the colon to feed. They live on butyrate. And when when everything's working fine, the way things work in the gut is that butyrate is the main fuel inside of there, mm-hmm. okay? But what happens is when the gut gets deprived over very long periods of the raw materials it needs, what begins to happen is the ascorbate in the gut layer gets bled down, okay? okay. The re- it's like the motor oil in the car bleeds dry. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, the engine gets worn out. So when ascorbate in the gut lining gets bled down, mm-hmm. what happens is a key point comes where a switch gets turned. Mm -hmm. And what happens is the gut lining stops using butyrate, Mm -hmm. okay, because it can't use it anymore. The key transporter, it's called MCT1, uh, switches off. At the same time, a sugar transporter switches on. That's called the GLUT1, Mm -hmm. okay? When that turns on, what happens is the inside of the gut lining uh, begins to look like cancer. Mm. It starts to resemble cancer chemically when you look at what's going on. So what goes on? Now, would, 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 would the layman call this leaky gut, or, or are we there yet? We're we're just about there. Okay. Okay. What happens is butyrate makes a uh, uh, hits a signal molecule called interleukin ten, keeps the gut shut, keeps the colon shut in the gut. Okay. When when butyrate stops working in the gut, and the gut begins to use sugar, which is a backup fuel, it can use sugar for a while, but not for long periods. When it begins to use sugar for very long periods, what begins to happen in the gut? is that the inner lining of the gut gets highly, highly oxidized and it gets damaged. Mm-hmm. So just think of it, the motor oil is not working anymore, mm-hmm. okay? When it begins to get damaged, suddenly the gut starts to open up, okay? Um, so you get a different interleukin called interleukin-6, signals the gut to open up, begins to open up. And now what you start to see are all these sort of inflammatory issues. And we have different names for these. You, know, you have colitis, you have Crohn's disease, you have all these different names for these. Yeah. Um, and so, when that happens, now you get a problem that begins to spiral and get bigger. Yeah. And what we see a lot is this. Um, at that point, the body can no longer handle fiber. Okay. Right. So this you is, think- This is where I am uh, right yeah. now. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. think fiber is the solution, uh-huh. but at that point, the fiber trans, put it this way, the way to think of it is that the end product of fiber is butyrate. Mm-hmm. That transporter's down. Can't work. Right. So when you feed the gut fiber, it gets worse. Yeah. Okay. So at that point, what you'll see people do is they'll things they'll, they'll hear things. Oh well, I heard the carnivore diet's got to go on that. Yeah. So they'll go on a carnivore diet, mm-hmm. and then what happens is you have a short-term, long-term effect. A short-term effect is aminos are incredibly healing on the gut for a number of reasons. We need aminos. Mm-hmm. So what happens is the sensation, cessation of fiber, addition of aminos. Has a, has a healing effect on the gut. Mm-hmm. So the gut- So you mean amino acids yes. from protein. Yes, so you hear this phrase, meat heals, mm-hmm. super true. 
Mm-hmm. Super true, but but mechanistically, the reason is because of amino acids. So you have amino acids in the gut, like glutamine, you have arginine, you have all these different amino acids. What they do is um, they are very healing on the gut, and they affect different immune mechanisms. So you, f- you see an amelioration of the irritants, mm-hmm. fiber, because the fiber right. transports aren't working. But now you have a bigger problem. Right. The bigger problem you have now is that you still need butyrate. The gut still needs butyrate, and it's still going to make it. Right. So the gut has two ways to make butyrate. One is by what's called sarcolytic fermentation, meaning carbs. Mm -hmm. So here's what you get on this side of the equation. This is the carb side. On the carb side of the equation, you get two end products. One is what's called your short chain fatty acids, okay? And the other basically is sort of phenolic compounds, which more or less equate to antioxidants as your output. Okay, Okay, so you're gonna get antioxidants here and you're gonna get short chain fatty acids here, Mm -hmm. okay? The, The trick here, is the ratios, is, is everything. So what happens is when you're making butyrate from carbs, um, as you're coming down the daisy chain of converting into acetyl-CoA and converting that into butyrate eventually, what happens is there's a feedback loop that happens, and this is critical. In that feedback loop, you're gonna get acetate, butyrate, propionate. Acetate gets resalvaged back into acetyl-CoA and makes more butyrate. So at the end of that, you get butyrate, little bit of acetate, moderate amount of propionate. That's super important. And then with that, you get essentially antioxidants, Mm. okay? Now, when you shove that out of the way and you're making amino acids from protein, um, you've got two ways you can go. One is what's basically the ketogenic path, Mm -hmm. okay? And on that path, there's no salvage path back from acetate into acetoacetate, okay? Mm-hmm. So what you're gonna am- end up with is um, higher ratios of acetate, lower ratios of butyrate, and then higher ratios of propionate. Mm. That's super important because acetate um, basically helps the body store fat. In fact, it's why you get fatty liver for the most part. Mm. Um, and they affect the gut lining in very different ways. And your, your, your second output from all that is ammonia. So in, on this mm. side of the equation, your secondary output were ultimately phenols and antioxidants. Here it's ammonia, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. So you don't have the phenols and antioxidants. Right. Mm-hmm. So what happens when you're doing that is ammonia begins to interact with things in the gut and you can get uh, essentially excessive alkyna- alkylation in the gut and the protein itself ferments very differently from carbs. So what you're gonna get is protein fermentation. Protein fermentation in the gut generally is cancerous, mm-hmm. generally speaking. You can offset it with fiber, but now by itself in the short term, it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why you see temporarily get this healing effect. Sure. Like, oh, I'm, I went on this carnivore thing. I, I feel very healed. It's, it's great. removing of symptoms though, yes. right? right. It, fasting does the same thing, yes. although that's not a sustainable diet. Right. Uh, well, yeah, but uh, you, per, in perpetuity, you can't fast. No, but, but where is that that leading us, though? Uh, you, you actually brought up something very astute, which is that um, fasting does replete the gut, and it does it basically through what is known as endogenous nitrous, nitrogen production, meaning you're making nitrogen internally. So that, later on, we'll come back to this, that can be combined with this side of the equation over here. So you can combine that. Once you fix the gut, you can combine that with fibers, mm-hmm. and now you've got the best of both worlds. Yeah. Okay? But... Back on this side of the equation here, when you're making uh, butyrate via the via protein fermentation via the ketogenic pathway, mm-hmm. <clears throat> at the end of the day, um, long term, you're creating an issue because of the way that you're fermenting proteins. That's an issue because you got to look at the types of bacteria that ferment, the the end products they make. Um, you get these what are known as nitroso compounds that can interact, and you get these um, essentially cancer forming compounds in the gut. 
the other side of that equation is you can make protein um, by what's called the, the gluconeogenic pathway. You can make mm-hmm. butyrate via that pathway. Now, via that pathway, you have some advantages. Um, it's very similar to making short-chain fatty acids from carbs, okay? But again, your end product is not um, phenols, antioxidants, and short-chain fatty acids. Your end product is short-chain fatty acids and ammonia. Mm. It's a very different equation because over time, the antioxidants and phenols that need to buffer the acidity in the gut lining aren't there, Right. okay? So the longer you do that, uh, you start to see autoimmune issues and different things like that. Sure. So we are in this. This is the Crohn's disease, but it's also, it could be skin issues, eczema, all these other things that result from that as well. Yeah, and, and long story short, it all comes from imbalances uh-huh. in the diet. Yeah, and, and really I think that's the, what I'm learning from your book is is what we're really talking about is 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 balancing, yeah. uh, not just the gut, but balancing our health because anything out of balance is unhealthy. Like water's healthy for you, except when it's out of balance, and now it's unhealthy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this. Weird, and people are like, what's the secret of your book? And I'm like, ah, oh, it's called the balanced diet. That's not a secret. <laughs> nothing new there. I'm like, yeah, nothing new. I know. <laughs> right. Except, except. in fact, uh, that leads me to a question we have here from Rachel. We're usually a, a listener-driven show, so let me just pop this in here. What are the best foods for gut health? Now, we've talked about a lot of these things already. You've talked about apple peels. You've talked about blueberries, <laughs> strawberries, blackberries, um, orange juice. I know that you, you talk about being uh, healing, and mm-hmm. I assume it's because of ascorbic acid, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so th- those are some things there. What else? What what is what is helpful for the gut? And later during the maximal, I think we'll get into the the order of operation okay. on things. Yeah. But let's let's just talk about some foods that are that are, are healing and healthy that we haven't already touched upon. Yeah. So assumption is that you are you are past the point of the inflamed gut because a lot of the things that are very healthy for the gut in an ongoing basis you can't give up front when you've got all these sort of issues. So uh, if someone has Crohn's disease, mm-hmm. for example, or or colitis, um, or ulcers, what's healthy for them is going to be different from what's healthy for the person with your average gut. It's like you said, there's an order of operations. Yeah. 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 So they're going to need aminos and, and things like the HMOs up front. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you, you sort of baby step your way back into fibers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But generally speaking, um, things that are healthy for the gut long-term would be things like resistant starch, um, foods that have phenols, so anything with colors, like dark colors in it. Let's talk about resistant starches, because I was mm. listening to an interview <clears throat> you did on another podcast, and you had the h- most hilarious Chipotle hack. Yeah, um, yeah it works. <laughs> when he goes to Chipotle, yeah. he, he puts ice in the beans, he gets the beans separate and puts oh. ice in them. It's a great COVID attention strategy. Like, if you're if you just spend too much time alone, you just go to Chipotle, go to the ice machine, and everybody's like, what? Are you t- <laughs> they think, oh, this crazy guy's putting yeah. ice in his beans because they've never seen someone do that. But there's a strategy behind that. It's not that you like cold beans necessarily. It's that they do something different in the gut. Mm. Uh, what other foods are like that besides you know, the the cold black beans? Uh, potatoes. Okay. So potatoes. Uh, cold, cold potatoes. Cold potatoes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there's a, there are you can look this up. There's potato diets out there where people eat nothing but potatoes and get ripped. Yeah. On potatoes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, potatoes. Potatoes do that. Just generally speaking, uh, garbanzo beans are fantastic. Probably the probably like if you're a vegan, garbanzo would be my top of the list because they have so much protein in them, but mm-hmm. they also have very special long chain um, carbs in them that are very sensitizing for insulin. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of a wonder food for um, both body fat and for the gut. They're okay. very, very effective, yeah. But only cold, right? Is that the key? <clears throat> well, the difference to think of it is this way. Um, there's a state 
in which certain resistant starches um, don't feed you. Mm -hmm. They feed the bacteria in their gut. And then there's a state where they feed you. Mm -hmm. So in one state, um, a lot of different kinds of resistant starches, when they're cold or cooled down, um, the, the food in them is really not digestible by you. Not all of it, but most mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. and, and you're feeding the gut. Mm. Um, you don't get a lot of energy from it. But when you heat them up, those long chain starch chains break down into simple sugars and then it feeds you. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Man, there's so many things I want to talk about here on The Minimal uh, before we wrap this up. Let's talk about eating in threes really quickly. Mm. I, I found this to be fascinating. And since I've made some changes recently, it's amazing how my satiety is affected by my previous meal. Mm. And it took me 40 years to figure that out. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Yeah. Well, so there's this really new, uh, fascinating body of research um, that has to do with meal-to-meal -meal sequencing. And it, it's very science-based. And it, we're, we're just simply looking at the effect that a previous meal will have on the next meal. Yeah. And, and you can look at all these parameters of the previous meal. So you can look at what was in it, what state was it in, how did you combine it, how much time before the next meal. And then based on all these sort of levers, you get all these different effects at the next meal. Mm -hmm. um, so like if I ate celery and cucumbers for one meal, I might accidentally just gorge yeah. on the next meal. Yeah, because, you'll be starving. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you'll be starving. But I see this with my clients all the time, mm -hmm. like talking about like, no, you know, your choices that you make at one meal are going to directly 100%. impact your next meal and probably several meals after that. Yes. Yeah. And where that gets really interesting is uh, in, in fat loss. So mm -hmm. what you see a lot in, in active fat loss is, oh, I ate perfectly during the day and I blew it at night. And uh, very common. And the reason is that you have to set up the evening in the morning. So the things that, and, and again, there's good research on this. Like there's research showing that um, if you have an egg at breakfast, you're going to have uh, 24 hour total food intake is going to be slightly less. Mm. If you have barley uh, at night, uh, you're going to be uh, have much greater insulin sensitivity in the morning. Uh, if you have a whey protein preload 30 minutes prior to a higher sugar meal, then you're going to have lower glucose area under the curve. And so we begin to look at meal to meal sequencing. It's like it's like jujitsu. It's like suddenly you have all these outcomes you can you can produce. Um, a good example would be um, uh, peanuts, a small amount of peanuts together with an orange. Um, as a preload meal, you're going to eat much less at the next meal because of the satiety value of both of those. So a preload meal would be like 30 minutes mm -hmm. before the, mm -hmm. the the main meal. Right. You're sort of priming yourself right. to eat less by... It, it, it. It's almost counterintuitive because like, well, I don't want to eat two meals within a 45-minute window, but it's actually, uh, it's almost like an appetizer in a way. Well, we've been primed to think that the only variable in the equation is calories, but but really, um, sometimes you'll actually increase calories, but to, but to increase calories, you'll increase insulin sensitivity and you'll decrease total food intake. Mm -hmm. So it's just really thinking along different lines, that's all. But um, it's power. There's a lot of power in doing it. Yeah, and in, in the eating in threes in particular. Um, let's, let's talk about a few, th actually, you know, I'm going to save the niacin and zinc, uh, conversation we're going to be talking about sleep in a little bit as well uh, nika says what's the 411 on vitamins and supplements do they help our immune system uh yes um i i, I believe that just my my personal belief that i subscribe to is that food is the answer mm -hmm. right that food is far more powerful than anything and that at the end of the day like you you don't need any vitamins or supplements if you know how to use food um that being said vitamins and supplements are incredibly powerful yeah. They can be very effective used they're, they're supplements, though. And yeah. I think we need they're to be clear yeah. about the, the role there. And yeah. the, Linda's question, do pro, probiotics uh, do probiotic supplements really help in any way? That was a very popular question. We had a bunch of people ask this. And yeah. I know you're not, you're not the biggest fan of probiotics because they can, they can lead to some, some trouble. 
I just think that the proper place of probiotics is in the hands of a very skilled practitioner. Uh-huh. Um, so, someone like you. There's There are very specific selective applications of probiotics right. that are, I would say, use the word miracles mm-hmm. when done correctly. Mm-hmm. But I think that it takes some training. I think it takes, you know, experience. Um, because there are some risks with probiotics. You can, you can, you know, the thing I see the most is SIBO, and I see that a lot. That's small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we're kind of in an epidemic of that. You had this period for a few years where people discovered probiotics, and they went on all of them, mm-hmm. and and next thing you know, two three years later, everybody's got gut issues from it. But now is that different mm-hmm. with uh, the more natural probiotics? So like something in. Um, yogurt per, per se that that's an actual food that has probiotics yeah. uh, or sauerkraut things like this that's different from the pills and powders right or yeah. no yeah uh, yes uh, very interesting difference um, so the issue has to do with um, when when things are with food like let's take the example of yogurt um, they tend to like work in the correct place in the gut right. you're gonna get you're gonna get their fermentation in the right place in the gut, and it's because along with the you have along with the probiotic, you have all these specialized long chain sugars and you know uh, different proteins and things that kind of like help everything work as a single unit. Right. When you strip out the uh, other things, and then you're just taking sort of this selective probiotic, there's there's variables that you know we can't totally control where they open up in the gut, um, and you might get a host of effects. Now that being said. You know, when you read the research, there's some pretty pretty amazing things that can be done with with the right strain of a probiotic for the right condition. And, and so again, that's why I think that it, you know they belong in the hands of practitioners. And you wouldn't just go willy nilly to your nearest Whole Foods, buy out the probiotic aisle, and hope that's going to fix your gut. Basically, I would not do that. No, yeah. no, I would, I would, I would again just say that you know find a good practitioner, right. someone who knows what they're doing, and and that's a good way to do that if that's yeah. how you want to go. Man, we've got so much more to get into, plus our our listener tips and our added value segment today and so many more surprise questions like, how can the strength of one's immune system be measured? What do different diets like paleo, carnivore, keto, and vegan get right? And what do they get very, very wrong? Plus, we have questions about the top 10 habits to strengthen the immune system, questions about sleep's essential role in immunity. Questions about why Bex has been wearing tape over her mouth at night. (laughs) You think it's hot. (laughs) It's not the only reason, though. We have questions (laughs) about lactose intolerance and gluten intolerance. Questions about how to heal IBS and ulcers and leaky gut and back pain and stomach pain and autoimmune issues and a million more questions for Joel and Bex. And if you want to hear all that, subscribe to our Maximal episode on the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's a completely separate podcast podcast and it's the most honest way for the minimalist to earn an income because we don't believe in advertisements by the way if you're not a a private podcast supporter you're literally missing two-thirds of our show bex you're a a private podcast listener i am and literally favorite part (laughs) why is that it's just it's more casual Uh and you have a lot more banter between you and your guests and it just yeah, it's more relaxed. Yeah, that, that long-form y- conversation feels like a it's just a deeper dive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I like that though. It's more relaxed. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it is. Well, it's good to hear. Yeah, y'all can check that out. Head on over to theminimalists.com/support. I say try it out for a month. I think you'll get immense value from it. It's worth way more than the two dollars that it costs. Try it out. If you don't like it, you can always stop trying it out. Right? Yeah. It's like a it's food also you more don't like. Intimate. Like, yeah, I think. Well, it's because we're not wearing shirts during it. 
theminimalists.com slash support to subscribe and get your personal link so that our private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. All right, here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hello, my name is Amberly. I'm from Louisiana, and I wanted to tell you all about um, a company that I find a lot of value in. Um, it's called United by Blue, and they um, – I'm not getting anything from them for saying this. I just really enjoyed the company. I bought a backpack from them a couple years ago, and I'm, I love it. It's really great, and I'm finding a lot of value in it. Uh, they have quality products. They're very environmentally friendly, and they take a pound of trash out of the ocean for every project that you buy. Thank you, and thanks for everything y'all do. Y'all are great. Hi, guys. Um, this is Trish from uh, Grover, North Carolina, and I'm a landscaper. And I just wanted to say for you and also the rest of the listeners on your podcast, um, everybody likes to use uh, – Tires. It's, it's shredded up tires. It's a one-time mulch, they call it. And it, they advertise it sometimes as a better alternative, but it is horrible for the environment. It will pollute it, um, and over time, the mulch will break down, and it will literally be pieces of metal tire in your garden or your bushes or whatever. So I would just like to discourage anybody from uh, thinking this is a better alternative than mulch. It is very bad for the environment, and it is not meaningful at all. All right, y'all. Thanks again to Joel Green for joining us today. You can check out his new book. It's called The Immunity Code. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Also, his website, Veep Nutrition, V-E-E-P Nutrition.com. A link to that as well. He has some courses to help you improve your health there. You can also follow him on Instagram. He just joined Instagram, y'all. Give him a follow at uh, the real Joel Green. We'll put a link to his Instagram. I think it's just at real Joel Green. Uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. For our added value this week, Bex, Descansos Gardens. The Botanical Gardens. Yes, we, um, well, we're going to talk about on the Maximal episode about getting out in nature and, and the key role and how that helps our immune system. And um, it's, sometimes it's hard, especially if you live in a city, to, to get out in nature. Yeah. But uh, this was an opportunity for us to do so relatively recently. And... It's in the middle of the city, but it doesn't feel like it when you get there. Not at all. It's quiet, and there's birds everywhere, and lizards, and probably snakes, but thankfully we didn't see any snakes. <laughs> I think there were fish in some of the ponds. There were. Yeah. Yeah, so so I guess if you live in the greater Los Angeles area, Descanso Gardens is, is a great spot to go. But if you don't, and you're looking to, to get out, especially during these these weird trying times where we're not under quarantine but life is certainly different from what it was getting out in nature quite often there are just these beautiful botanical gardens in your city within a 5 10 20 minute drive of where you are we take for granted the places that are right there in our backyard growing up in Dayton Ohio I think I went over 30 years without going to the Air Force Museum. And I didn't start going back there until I went there. Um, I kept started going back to Dayton and then I would go there all the time after going back. With who, whatever, who, whoever you were going with. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Showing and, Dayton too. It's like, oh, you got to go to the Air Force Museum. Right. Which you do. Yeah. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Until yeah. you get to the nuclear silos, then it's a little bit depressing. Yeah. Then it's like, okay, we got to go now. 
So avoid nuclear silos and instead find your local botanical garden. Yeah, I think you, that's our added value. You did take me to a botanical garden in Dayton, though. I did. Do you remember what that one was called? Yeah, it's in Springboro. What's the one in Springboro, Sean? It's uh, it's right off of 741. I don't know. We'll put a link to it in the show notes, though. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. Uh, real quick for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist, sort of. Bex is starting a podcast. It's a relationship podcast. It's called How to Love. And it's coming out next month in January. And I don't have a link for you right now. I, actually, I'll tell you what the link is, but it, it's not going to, you're not going to be able to listen to anything yet. Howtolove.show will be the link for that. And she's been kind enough to ask me to co-host with her. So I will tag along <laughs> for Bex's podcast. It's called How to Love. It's a podcast about relationships and sex and parenting. Maybe in that order, maybe not maybe. in that order. Yeah, emphasis will shift depending on the episode. I can't wait to have some conversations with you. It'll be awesome. Yes, it will. Uh, you can follow her on Instagram at Minimal Wellness, and you'll be able to find more details about when that podcast comes out. You can follow the Minimalists on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Minimalists. Come to one of our live podcast shows. Visit the minimalistscom tour to find a city near you. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. You can comment on this episode at youtube.com slash theminimalist. And if you want our show notes in your email inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. And you'll also receive our simple Sunday emails whenever we send those. And if you leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it